Wayne Wilson was my next door neighbor when I was growing up in the hills of North Georgia. He was a gangly, cultish boy with a huge crop of curly red hair, several years younger than me. And one day when Wayne was about seven years old, his father, Johnny, came to our door, who also had an enormous crop of red hair. He knocked on the door and he asked us, hey, have y'all seen Wayne? We had not seen Wayne. Wayne was missing. So we joined Johnny and Wayne's mother, Barbara, and several others looking for him, calling his name, going door to door. Have you ever lost one of your children for just a few moments even? It's a terrifying experience. We lost our son Blaze one time at Zoo Atlanta, and I thought for sure they had taken him into a cage. But uh, <laughs> they sent him home. The search stretched on for about a half an hour looking for Wayne. And I have to tell you that in the neighborhood I grew up in, that neighborhood was not the safest place. There were, I hate to tell, murders and suicides and drug busts, not every day, but regularly enough on Baker Circle, Calhoun, Georgia. Once one of uh, two of my hillbilly neighbors got into a fight and one said to the other, well, I'll just burn your house down. That's what I'll do. <laughs> and the hillbilly number two said, the hell you will. Well, hillbilly number one went back to his house. He got a can of gasoline. He came back. He doused the house. He set it on fire. And me and my teenage buddies, we gathered around in the front yard for the marshmallow roast and the deathmatch brawl that followed. And it was great fun until the SWAT team arrived. But that's not a digression. It was a tough street, and a kid missing on that street was cause for, for concern. So after looking for Wayne for about a half an hour, we called the sheriff's department. Sheriff's deputy shows up. We're out there in the yard, and... As we say in the South, when the law shows up, everybody gathers. You know, everybody showed up. Then nobody shows up to help look for the kid, but the law shows up. Everybody's there to see who had been shot or stabbed or killed or whatever. And so the parents begin to give a description of little Wayne. Curly red hair, right, right. Four and a half feet tall, got it, got it. Wearing an Atlanta Braves T-shirt, okay, okay. And then the deputy does this. Huh, sounds like that kid standing right over there. And we all turn around, and there's Wayne on the front porch. And he's got this faraway look in his eye, and he's got sleep creases through the middle of his face. He had been playing with his Hot Wheels cars under his bed and had fallen asleep. Wayne was lost, and Wayne had never even left home. That's the second character, the second son in this story of the prodigal son. Last week, we looked at the prodigal son in the context of the lost highway. This young, rebellious, ignorant boy takes his trust fund to the road, a road that leads to his own destruction. He wastes everything, every penny, every opportunity, every chance he has been given, throwing away his fortune and his youth. And at the end of himself, at rock bottom, he remembers the love of his father, and he goes home. He hopes to arrive as a servant. A slave, just hoping for a clean cot and a couple of square meals a day. But no, his father sees him coming, barefoot and in rags, down 30 pounds, looking like a hundred miles of bad road, and the father runs to him in love. As the father, obviously God in Jesus' story, said last week, we must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And if only the story that Jesus told ended right there, 
then it would be nothing but champagne wishes and caviar dreams because we all love that fairy tale ending. But we have to read on and find another lost son, a lost son who never left home. Our reading today again from Luke 15, verses 25 and following to verse 32. I don't think that's the whole text there. There, no, yeah. No, you got more? Meanwhile, the older son, where's that at? Oh, you're using the NIV. That's okay, I'll read yours. I got the New Living Translation. Can we back up? All right, here we are. I got it now. So they began to celebrate. That's where we want the story to end. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God today. I can see this man coming in from a long day in the heat and in the sun, he's probably been on a tractor for hours because these hayfields won't cut and bale themselves. He gets the old John Deere in the equipment shed. He washes the sweat and the dust from his sunburned face in the, in the mudroom. He catches strange sounds coming from the distance up at the house on the hill. He steps out into the evening sun. He squints out toward the horizon and toward the house. The yard is now suddenly somehow full of cars. Faintly, he can see people cannonballing into the pool. There's the thump, thump, thump of what sounds like a band or a DJ. And what's that smell? Steak? Brisket and burnt ends? He catches one of the hired hands who is in a practical sprint toward the house, looking to either dive into the pool or into a T-bone. And he asks the obvious question, what's going on up at the house? And the barn boy says, well, sir, you are not going to believe it. Your little brother has finally come home and the old man has pulled out all the stops. There's a spread like you have never seen, bubble bath in the jacuzzi, kegs lined up the length of a football field, all the neighbors have come over, they've opened that bottle of bourbon, you know the one way up on the shelf, it's got all the dust on it, it's open now, everybody's getting a shot of it, and we get tomorrow off. Isn't that so cool? But it ain't cool, not for the older brother. He is enraged. And he won't even go inside. Now, can we show a little love for this man before we condemn him outright? Because honestly, 
Most of us in this room today probably have more in common with him than anyone else in this story. Speaking for myself anyway, I have more in common with this man than anyone else in the story. For the most part, I've been a good boy. I had those youthful indiscretions, and by the grace of God, lived through any of them. It's a miracle any of us ever get to 30 anyway. And I've lived my adulthood where this man was, working hard, on the job, responsible, trustworthy, respect, well, mostly respectable. No one has ever had to say about old Ronnie, he's gone off the rails. He's done took his money, I ain't got no money to take. He's done take his money and gone off to live and ride his living somewhere. No, I haven't done that. People like me and like many and many, many people like you, we do what's right. You can count on us. And I used to give this older brother in the story a hard time. I smacked him around a lot because he's so unforgiving and so ungracious when his little brother comes home. And then one day I woke up and realized horribly that the older brother was me. I too am the oldest son, quite literally, in my own family. And like this man in Jesus' story, I have a younger sibling of dubious character. But it was my personality, my work ethic, and my coping mechanism that when all else fails, I'll get to work working hard, doing what is right. My room, always organized. My grades, always straight A's. My car, the oil always changed, the turtle wax always freshly applied. My performance reviews always said exceeds expectations. So you can imagine my surprise when I was 29 years old and had this very public divorce when I was pastor of the big booming Baptist church in town and had already been labeled the next rising star of my denomination, whatever that might mean. Well, that ended that because you can't be divorced in the Baptist church and be a rising star. And I kept asking myself, how did this happen? I was doing everything right. And even in the divorce, I wasn't the one who broke the vows. I took on the role of being a single dad with two babies enthusiastically because that was the right thing to do, the honorable thing to do. But underneath the surface, I was this volcano of anger and resentment. How can my goals and my ambitions and my career be taken away from me when I have done everything I am supposed to be doing? And I learned something. I wasn't angry about being divorced. Thank God that little piece of hell ended. (laughs) I wasn't angry at my denomination, though thank you for setting me free. I wasn't angry at all about being a single parent. It was a privilege to give my whole self to those boys. And in the process to meet and marry and find the very other half of my soul, Cindy Cooper McBrayer. And who can deny that Braden McBrayer, our baby boy together, isn't the heaven-sent reward for our struggles. Today, he's 16, that could change tomorrow. (laughs) I was just like the older brother. I was mad at my father. I was mad at God. I was doing everything I was supposed to do, and this is the thanks I get. 
I work, I'm faithful, I do what is right, I give you my youth, laboring in your field from dawn to the setting sun, and you give me a slap in the face like this? Where is the appreciation? Where is the attaboy? Where is the justice? Where are the fair wages? And that's the problem right there that I came to see. And that is the lesson that I have learned and hope continue to learn. Our relationship with God is not based on wages. There is nothing to earn. There is nothing to prove. There is nothing to get the upper hand on. It is all grace from the top to the bottom. And the best thing that ever happened to me in my entire life for multiple reasons is my life going to hell in a handbasket. That it would be able to break my heart, to break my own ego, and to break the self-imposed slavery I had put on myself. God isn't interested in slaves. God is interested in sons. God isn't interested in detainees. God is interested in daughters. God is interested only in children living at his house. Sure, there's work to be done, but all work and no grace makes for a hard-ass religionist. And that's as clear as I can say it. Who can't cut themselves or anyone else the grace and slack that we all have got to have if we're going to live in this world. It makes, it's just no wonder that religious people are unbearable. They are impossible to live up to and to live with. It's like a tale told by Father Anthony DeMello. A man goes to the doctor with these terrible headaches. They give him a complete examination. Nothing is wrong with him. So the doctor says, well, do you smoke? And the guy says, no. Do you drink? Never has a drop crossed my lips. You carouse with women? Hey, what kind of person do you think I am? Do you take any time off from work? No. There's always work to be done. And the doctor says, well, I know what's wrong with you. You're wearing your halo so tight, it's about to pop your brain. If you loosen it up a little bit, you'll feel better, and so will everybody else around you. And I like the one by DeMello too. Pious old man is praying one night and he says, God, I say my prayers every day. Every decision I've ever made, I've made it with you in mind to honor you. I live a just and upright life. And I look at my friend who all he does is drink and carouse and doesn't care about you and he never prays. And you reward him so much. And I just want, I don't want him punished, but I just want to know why. Why does he get rewarded too? And God answered and said, because you are such a pain in my neck. <laughs> Religious people can be like that. But that's not all God has to say. Back to that text. The older brother speaks first. All these years I've slaved for you and never once, never once I've slaved. What have I done for you? Slaved. The, the younger son came home hoping to become a slave just so he could get back in the door. The older brother is in slavery right now. All these years I have slaved for you. You didn't give me anything. And yet when this son of yours comes back, he can't say my brother. When this son of yours comes back 
after squandering your money on prostitutes. This is the first mention of a prostitute, but that's the accusation made. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And then what does his father's son say back to him? We had to celebrate this happy day, and he turns it on him. For your brother, not my son, your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and he is found. Just look at the love and tenderness of the father of God. He jumped off the front porch and ran to his prodigal son and carried him joyfully home. And now, now he slips out the back door and attempts to do the same thing with his oldest boy. God always welcomes home the prodigal who at rock bottom comes back home. Always. But God also always contends with we older religious types who feel so offended. We who mutter and complain beneath our breath. Who refuse to share space with others who are actually and indeed our brothers and sisters. God is as welcoming and gracious with the religious as he is with the prodigals because we all need the same thing. We all have to walk through a door that is labeled grace. We all have to surrender to love. So you take this older boy who's been so good and you take this younger boy who's been so bad and you scratch the surface and what you find, there's not a lick of difference between them. Not really. Both avoided their father's love, one through rebellion, the other through resentment. Both sinned against their father, one by running away, other by losing himself in his slavery. Both insult their father's reputation, one by treating him as if he were dead, and the other by never really getting to know him. And the only difference between the two is this. The prodigal, for all of his faults, somewhere in that distant pig pen came to the realization that he was not a slave, he was a son of a gracious father, and he went home and surrendered to the love that was waiting for him. And the story ends. The sun is going down. The crickets are chirping in the hay. Up at the house, we can still hear the cannonballing and the champagne bottles popping, the band thump, thump, thumping. The older brother is out in the backyard. His, his, his hands are clenched in rage. He's trembling with anger. And his father is right there with him with tears running down his face. Just begging him to come in. Just, can't you come in? Did he? Will you? Will we? Will we give up our anger, our judgmentalism, our pride? And just accept grace. Will we surrender to the love of God? I have this tiny 12-step prayer book on my shelf right next to my desk. And I use the steps in recovery language a lot. So much so that people <laughs> come up to me sometimes and say, Hey, are you, are you an alcoholic? Uh, no, but I am an addict. I am a recovering religionist. I am. And that little book contains a prayer that I pick up regularly and read. And it helps me. I hope it will help you. I offer it for all of us today. God, help me to forget what I have done for others and remember what others have done for me. 
to ignore what the world owes me and to think what I owe the world. To own that probably the only good reason for my existence is not to be right, but to love and to be loved. To close my book of complaints against the management of your universe and look for places to live in grace. Make me willing to do these things, O oh Lord, even if it's just for today. In Christ I ask, amen.